0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. The title of this sermon is Jesus on Marriage, Divorce, Remarriage, Singleness, and Kids, Part 2. Part 2. So for those of you who were here last Sunday... You know this is a two-part series due to the enormity of the text and the topics before us. Um, Last Sunday, I I unpacked verses 1 through 10, specifically on what Jesus taught on marriage, divorce, remarriage, which was, again, part one of our series. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday, you can listen to part one by going to our website, realityventura.com. I want to make mention that I did recommend a great book last Sunday on the topic by Jay Adams called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. It's less than 100 pages, and again, it's available at our resource table after the gathering. I'd encourage you to read that. And also, we put together a small paper. It's sort of a position paper on marriage and divorce that helps us navigate them as a church. So, Those are for for free at the Connect Desk, um, just right out there in the lobby. Okay, let's get to our text. I will be unpacking verses 12 through 14 today, specifically on what Jesus taught on singleness and kids for part two of our series. And as way of reminder, in our text last Sunday, Jesus sets a really high bar for marriage And very few specific exceptions for divorce. In response to this, the disciples said to Jesus, starting in verse 10, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such, th- such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So for the sake of review and context this morning, we need to keep in mind that all the messiness and brokenness that is represented in this text, represented in the whole of this text, ver- verses 1 through 15. And I would say, more specifically on what Jesus taught about marriage, divorce, and remarriage is framed in this idea that, he, that Jesus teaches these things while, while He is on His way to the cross. He is not doing it as some professor in ivory tower. He is not doing it as some cold counselor. He is doing it with the joy that is set Before him. Also we need to keep in mind. As Matthew tells us in verse 2. That great crowds followed Jesus. When Matthew said followed. He doesn't just mean that they were present. But they were following Jesus. Just like we are endeavoring to follow Jesus. That means that all these things Jesus teaches. Concerning marriage. Divorce. Remarriage singleness, and kids are couched within the idea of being Jesus' followers. Jesus began to talk talk about all these things in our text this morning within that framework. And that is really important for us to know this morning. With that said, after Jesus addressed marriage, divorce, and remarriage in verses 4-8, through specifically on the permanence of marriage and the high calling of marriage, the disciples said to Jesus in verse 10, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Again, the honesty, the truthfulness of the disciples. They just are straightforward. It is better not to marry. Jesus replies in verse 11, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Jesus is affirming and saying in essence, marriage is a gift, and it actually is a really high calling, and it's kind of a big deal, and it's meant to be permanent, and that it will be a great challenge So not everyone should get married. The disciples are saying in essence, whoa, this is too high of a view. And Jesus is saying, yeah, some of you can't handle it, so you shouldn't get married. This is what Jesus is saying here in verse 11. And again, I know this grates against our popular Christian culture because we have held marriage up to be the ultimate Christian experience. And it's not. Marriage is not for everyone. Jesus said that. And actually, some are meant to be single. Jesus goes on to contrast by mentioning those who would not be married in that culture Culture in verse 12. Jesus is going to mention eunuchs here. And for our help, When you hear the word eunuch, hear single person. Although a eunuch would be single for different reasons, Jesus says in verse 12, For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So some people need to accept the call to be married, and some people need to accept the call to be single. Jesus is affirming both the sanctity of marriage, and he's also affirming the sanctity of singleness singleness thus far in our text. It's also important for us to know when Jesus uses the word eunuch here, that technically to be a eunuch meant three different things. First, those born eunuchs are those born without sexual organs. Jesus says some were born that way. That happens. Second, those who have been made eunuchs were most likely castrated for service in the royal court. Like, when I read that word, I just think of, ouch. I mean, <laughs> probably more than an ouch, but that's, that's heavy. When someone was enlisted to serve in a royal court, they were meant to watch over the women in that court. And if they were male... If they were male, then they were castrated for the reason that they would be, there would be no danger about their intentions with those women. You may remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 is an example of someone in that situation. And I'm sure there's no men here this morning that would actually apply for this job. But actually it was like a calling. It was a calling at that time. And then, lastly, those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says very importantly that there are those who choose to live as singles for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice what Jesus does here in one paragraph, in one interaction that Jesus approves that some of his followers renounce marriage and renounce sexual activity for the sake of serving Christ's kingdom. Jesus says, let him who is able to receive this, receive it. I think often in our Christian culture, we have elevated marriage to this ultimate Christian expression of what it means To be a complete Christian. That's not true. Marriage does not make you or any of us a complete Christian. Every single one of us here today are complete in Christ. Every single one of us who are believers, our identity is in Christ. We've been approved by Christ that's what makes us complete. The other thing we do in the church when it comes to singleness is we look down upon, we question, we even think it's weird or strange those who are single. Especially those who are still single in their 40s or older who have never been married. And that is not right. And if that is you here this morning, again, I want to encourage you that you are complete in Christ. That you are loved in Christ. That you are accepted in Christ. And that gives you value in Christ. If marriage was the ultimate expression of completeness, then Jesus would have, ha- would have been married, right? He would have been married if it was the ultimate expression of completeness. Let me remind you that both the Apostle Paul and Jesus were single. And there were also many great Christians throughout history that were single. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India... Gladys Allward, who was a missionary to China. John Stott, a pastor, a theologian, and a writer, was single, and many, many others. So you may need to consider that your singleness is because God has given you this. Like Jesus said in verse 11, "...to whom it has been given." That it's a calling by God. And He will empower you and help you to fulfill this calling for His glory. Again, Jesus is affirming in this text both the sanctity of marriage and also the sanctity of singleness. Therefore, we must see from Scripture that singleness is not a curse. It is a gift. Let me say that again. Singleness is not a curse. Singleness is a gift. I know for many single people, especially in the church, it can feel at times like a curse. I understand those challenges as a pastor, but that's not what the scriptures say. It's a gift, it's not a curse. And it's strategic for God's purposes. It's strategic for God's purposes. That is what Paul chose for himself and what he encouraged others to consider. Let's look what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That enlightening chapter, which if you were here last Sunday, I encouraged you when you went home last Sunday to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you haven't read it yet, or you're new with us this morning, please read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, "...but I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another." Notice he says this call to singleness is a gift and this call to marriage is a gift. He goes on to say, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better, not, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. Did you hear that? Single people, widows, did you hear that? It is better to stay unmarried just as I am. And then Paul goes on to say, which many of you young people especially will love this one, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And yet, sadly, many marriages have been built on this verse alone. But Paul's point here is that singleness is a gift from God, and he goes on to say later in the, in the chapter that it's strategic for God's purposes. Paul said, I wish everyone were single just as I am, because I have greater opportunity and for broader mission in the world. That is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I rejoice in my singleness because I have greater opportunity. For broader mission in the world. Paul says towards the closing of chapter one uh, of First Corinthians chapter seven, he says this in a nutshell: listen, if you are married, you're very concerned about your spouse and what they need, and rightly so. But if you're not, then you can serve Jesus without all the other stuff that comes with marriage. So basically, Paul is saying, essentially and strategically, Paul is saying, you can serve and be on mission with an undivided devotion to the Lord in your singleness. With an undivided devotion and love for Jesus. God makes clear through Paul that singleness is a gift because it allows us to devote ourselves to Christ Without distraction. If you are single, whatever age you are single, for whatever reason you're single, you are free from distraction. You are free from distractions to be holy and totally devoted to Jesus and, uh, and His kingdom. I want you guys to know that Scripture celebrates singleness. Scripture affirms it says it's better, it's beautiful and strategic in God's kingdom. That singleness is beautiful and strategic in God's kingdom. Therefore, I want to say, singleness is not about what one lacks, but about what one has been given. Let me say that again. Singleness is not about what one lacks, but about what one has been given. It's a gift. And it's valuable in God's plan. And for those of you that are single, you are valuable in God's plan, in God's economy. You are valuable. Now I know that it may make the future seem hard for some that feel like singleness is a curse or you just may feel like this is a total bummer. But look at what God says that He will do for singles in the future. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 5, it says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never never let me be a part of His people. And don't let the eunuch say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lies to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one, and it will never disappear. So God's Word has told us in just three verses that one, singleness is holy. Two, singleness is a gift from God. Three, singleness is strategic from God. And four, singleness is ultimately blessed by God. God promises to bless obedient singles with blessings that are better than sons and daughters. In other words, God promises those of you who remain single in Christ... With blessings that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. And I would ask, do you believe that? I know that that would be hard to believe for some of of you today. But if God says it, it's true. That we can find our satisfaction and our joy and our completeness in Christ. So I say it again to all singles in Christ. God promises you blessings in the age to come that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. He will do more than you could ask or even imagine. And I'd also add in light of this truth, don't waste your singleness. Don't waste your singleness. With this promise, there comes a unique calling and a unique responsibility. It is not a calling to extend irresponsible adolescence into your 20s and 30s. I'm speaking to those that are younger right now. It's not a call to extend irresponsible adolescence into your 20s and 30s. Now, let me say this singleness is not a calling to waste it playing video games. I know, I, I'm not a big, vi- I don't even know how to play video games, but there are gamers out there, specifically men, and I'm going to say men in their 20s and 30s and even 40s, I say again, singleness is not a calling to waste it playing video games. And I say it to all singles, or spending your money and time on shallow and empty things and pursuits by serving yourself. That is not why God has gifted you singleness. And thus, remaining an adolescent into your 20s and 30s, this is not God's will for you. Again, if you are in that demographic, this is not God's will for you. And my exhortation to you this morning is embrace your singleness. Don't waste it. Embrace it. Don't waste it. I could go on for a rap maybe right now. Embrace (laughs) it. Don't waste it. Embrace it. Don't waste it. But I won't. I won't. I won't do that. It's kind of earlier today with all that reverb. It kind of got me in that zone. So again, embrace your singleness. Don't waste it. It is a calling to do what only single men and women in Christ can do in this world. Namely, to display by the Christ-exalting devotion of your singleness the truths about Christ and His kingdom that shine more clearly through singleness than through marriage. As long as you are single, this is your calling. This is your calling. And I would add, thank God for the gift of your singleness. If you are single this morning, I would say even right now, thank God for your singleness. Thank Him with Just a beautiful devotion and worship to the Lord right now. Recognize it as a gift from God. And make the most of it for as long as you have it. Meaning, again, don't waste your singleness. But make the most of it by being single-minded and devoted to the things of God and His kingdom. This is an opportunity for you to be wholly devoted to the kingdom of God. In serving Christ, whether it's within the church, or within your community, or within maybe at school, or maybe God's call upon some of you singles to go and launch out to the mission field. Whether it's short term, or whether it's long term. This is the time to serve God and His kingdom right now. So lay your life down for His glory. Make the most of it then we also have to realize in our singleness that our ultimate status is not single or married. Even though we have to check that in our tax returns and other stuff, our ultimate status is our identity in Christ. We are all defined by our identity in Christ. Again, that we are accepted in the Beloved. That we've been made righteous in Christ that we we are loved and accepted in Him. And also in Christ, we all have a true family. Jesus said that this family, the family of God, trumps every other family. When His own mother and brothers asked to see Him, Jesus said, Who are my mothers and brothers and sisters? those who obey my word. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus is turning everything around. Yes, he loved his mother and brothers, obviously, but those are all natural and temporary relationships. He did not come into the world to focus on that. He came into the world to call out a people for His name from all the families of the world into a new family where single people in Christ are full-fledged family members on par with all others. Married and single people are all part of the true family that is more important than all others. That's why this family, the family of God, is the true and ultimate family of God under Christ. These things are true for widows, widower, widowers, bad word, widows and widowers, divorces, single moms, single dads, yet to be married. Wherever you find yourself in the body of Christ according to the Bible, you need to hear this. You are welcomed You are celebrated, you are valued, and you are strategic for the kingdom of God. So to sum up the main point for those of you who remain single, John Piper said, God promises spectacular blessings to those of you who remain single in Christ, and He gives you an extraordinary calling for your life. Blessings that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. And He calls you to display by the Christ-exalting devotion of your singleness, the truths about Christ and His kingdom that shine more clearly through singleness than through marriage and childbearing. To be single in Christ, therefore, is not a falling short of God's best. It's not a falling of God's best, but a path of Christ-exalting, covenant-keeping obedience that many are called to walk. I'm also aware that there are those here today who are single and have a desire to get married, and that's a good thing. That's a good desire. And since I don't have time to address those who are single with a desire to be married and the importance of this topic— I want to recommend a very important book called Not Yet Married. The Pursuit of Joy in Singleness and Dating by Marshall Siegel. To sum up what this book is all about in one sentence, learn to live and date for more than marriage. Learn to live and date for more than marriage. And I would say this is a must-read I've been reading a few of the chapters and they are rich biblically and practically and they're encouraging. And it's actually our book spotlight for the next month or so. So for you young singles that have a desire to get married, pick up that book after our gathering in the lobby or just order it on Amazon. Good book, read it. So again, there are two valid and equally viable options for the Christian. Marriage or celibacy. Both are gifts from God to be used in the service of God's greater mission. So in our text, Jesus talked about marriage, talked about divorce, remarriage, and singleness. And it's only natural that He finishes with kids. So Jesus says this about kids in verses 13-15. through Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them and blessed them, he went on from there. So this is not about how to raise children. It's about the value of children. And the disciples surprisingly missed it. Or surprisingly, they did miss it. Because we see in Scripture, the disciples seem to always miss it. Just like you and I seem to miss it at times. The parents were bringing their kids to Jesus. And the disciples were essentially saying, quit Bringing your kids to Jesus. Quit bugging Jesus with your kids. You're slowing down the mission, lady. That's what they're basically saying. You're slowing down the mission. And guess what Jesus does? He rebukes them. This is about the value of children. And it's the cultural question. Are children a blessing or a burden? Are children a blessing or a burden? And perhaps surprisingly, our culture seems to see children increasingly as a burden. More and more, America is becoming a country that loves children less and less. We see them as a ball and chain that slows us down in our pursuit of the American dream. Fewer women are becoming mothers and those who do are having fewer children. The birth rate in America hit its lowest point in history last year. Less people in our culture are having kids than ever before. We're having half as many kids as we were in the ni- in 1960. So you'd have to argue that in our culture children and childbearing is less valued than it was previously. Now, I will say, there's nothing wrong or inherently wrong with not having kids or waiting longer to have kids, and there actually might be some choosing not to have kids for the sake of the kingdom. But the question is, and what the text brings out, what is the motivation for it? What is the motivation for it? The disciples kind of saw it this way. And sometimes we actually see it this way. We see children as holding us back from bigger and better things. Some may say, I don't don't want to have kids. I want to build my career. I don't want to have kids. I want to be successful I don't want to have kids. I want to get established. I don't want to have kids. I want to have fun. I don't want to have kids. I want to travel. Then maybe once I've traveled and I'm successful and I'm established, then maybe I'll have a couple kids. So kids can be seen to be holding us back from better and better bigger and better things. They can actually be seen as a burden. And I'd also say for some of us, kids might not necessarily be a burden, burden but seen as a bother. But seen as a bother. That's what I believe the disciples saw the children as, as a bother. In a sense, like, get away from me, kid. You're, you're kind of bugging me. I, I've got important things to do right now. We've got a mission here right now, and you kids are kind of getting in the way of that. More of a bother. Jesus teaches here in our text that kids are not a burden or a bother. Kids are a blessing by blessing them. The Bible is overwhelmingly positive in its language about children. It says explicitly in Psalm 127 verse 3, Children are a gift from the Lord. Also in teaching his disciples, Jesus uses an illustration of the joy of a mother delivering, delivering her baby in John 16:21. So then children are a gift, a joy and a blessing. But the disciples still didn't get it. And it's clear they misunderstood as it says in verse 13. When people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. They thought that the kids were getting in the way of the mission. Jesus said they exemplify the mission. Now, anyone who has some kids realizes that kids can feel like a burden at times. That's an obvious truth. Maybe even a bother at times. They can be a lot of hard work, and I would say more so for moms and husbands. I'll speak for myself. But they are not a burden. They are a blessing. Here's why. My kids, and I'll just speak for myself, are not in their demands depriving me from anything. They aren't holding me back from bigger and better things. They are reminding me of the most important things, such as self-sacrificial love, service, ultimate giving, surrender, discipleship, and much much more i mean in all honesty they are not depriving me of anything they are through the work of god teaching me about the most important things children are a gift from the lord for joy and sanctification and i love my kids and i have great joy my kids And I'll just be honest, though. I would say for me personally, because I'm so messed up, my kids are used more for sanctification in my life. (laughs) Again, that has nothing to do with my kids, but more reflects me how much more I need to conform and be like Jesus and God uses my kids in that area. So in light of Jesus' teaching on kids, there are three ways this should inform and and, and affect us. One, how we view children and family. Two, how we view children in community, the church community. Three, how we view children in danger, the unborn, adoption, foster care, trafficking. First, how we view then kids in our family. And I'm speaking to parents right now. Maybe a reset button is an order right now and how we view our own kids. Again, I have five kids, so that can be kind of crazy at times, and I'll be honest, I need a reset button daily. Daily, I need a reset button. Again, it's a reflection of me. It's a reflection of my heart and my attitude. Seeing our kids is a blessing and not a burden or a bother. Again, I'm speaking to parents and probably parents with young kids. Kids can be a bother at times. Especially when I had little ones and I still have a little one. And when I have certain expectations of how I think I want things to go in my day or I want to pull away from my kids and get a little downtime at home and my little one's asking for my attention in different ways... Sadly, more often than not, I'm bothered. And as I was studying, the Holy Spirit really convicted me of this because even a little bother here and a little bother there, it, it really plants a seed in our hearts. A seed in my heart, more kind of I, resentment's too strong of a word. Just a little bit of a hardness of, a, of my heart because I'm getting bothered. And I'm speaking to myself that's wrong. I need to repent of being bothered by my beautiful daughter who is a gift from God. Second, we also as Christians need to reassess, reset how we view kids in our church community. Within our church here at Reality Ventura or within the community, How we value and love kids should be a really big deal of ours within the Christian community and within our church. We shouldn't be like the disciples and say, well, let's just push them aside. They're kind of bogging down the real stuff, the mission. Jesus is saying, this is the mission. Children are the mission. That is what Jesus is saying. Kids are not a burden. They are a blessing and they are valuable. Some of you here at Reality have this mindset. And we as a church are so thankful to God for all of you. For all the incredible self-sacrificing servant volunteers who serve in our kids' ministry here at Reality Ventura every Sunday, and also everyone who served in VBS this summer, which I heard nothing but great things about, everyone who teaches kids, serves kids, loves kids, disciples kids in any way at Reality amongst our youth and amongst our kids, I say thank you. Thank you. You are valuing what Jesus values. But lastly, not only should we reflect this truth as a church, it should also affect how we view children in danger when it comes to mission in our community and the world, such as unborn children, children in need of adoption and foster care, children who are impoverished, Children with special needs, children enslaved in trafficking, etc., etc., etc. So, whether you're single or married, whether you're young or old, we can all do something for the sake of children in need and the glorious truth of what we believe as Christians. What can we do? What can we do? Our words and actions should reflect the heart and values of Scripture. The Bible is the heart and values of God, after all. Did you catch that? Because that is a truth we need to really take in our hearts and our minds, that the Bible is the heart and values of God. That's what it is. All Christians should be known as people who love children. Because we have been graciously loved by a Father, by our loving Father in Heaven. Our love for and joy in children should be evident and contagious. Few things tell the story of the Gospel more clearly and more tangibly than our passionate, persistent love for children, for the young and for the defenseless. So in closing, to Him be the glory in the Christ-exalting epic drama of marriage and the Christ-exalting epic drama of the single life and the Christ-exalting epic drama of kids. To Him be the glory, to Him be the glory, In Jesus' name, I say amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God in heaven, to your name be the glory. Not unto us, O God, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. God, I just ask in the whole context of verses 1 through 15, God, I ask for your blessing And you're outpouring upon all the marriages represented in our church. That God, our marriages, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would bring glory to your name. And again, any marriage that is going through challenges, would you strengthen them? Would you bring healing in those marriages? And God, I also just again pray for singles. Those who are chosen to be single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. May they embrace their singleness and embrace that calling and use their lives for your glory and for your kingdom. And may every single single person know that they are complete in Christ and they are valued in Christ and they are loved in Christ. And God, especially I pray for us as a church I pray that you would help us to value children like you value children and love children like you love children. And specifically for those who are parents like myself, help us to see our kids as a blessing and not a burden. And if for any of us as parents that have been bothered by our children, maybe more often than not, and that's taken root in our heart. Would you cause us to repent? Would you bring healing and help us to see our children as a blessing? Holy Spirit of God, take these words, the words of Christ, and use them and water those seeds and cause your people, your sons and daughters, to respond to you this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name.